Welcome to this week's episode of Relaunch My Life Radio. Are you a vegan or a vegetarian? Or do you know someone who is? This week, I really wanted to gain some deeper insight into someone who has a very personal connection to this topic. Leah Keith is the author of The Vegetarian Myth, Food, Justice and Sustainability, which has been called the most important ecological book of this generation. Leah Keith was vegan for 20 years before she had to make a very difficult decision to change that fact about her, to change the fact that she was vegan and to realise what her body really needed. What ensued was figuring out what her identity was if she wasn't a vegan and the complications that came around that. This interview is not designed to sway you one way or another. This interview is just to provide some information in a world where there is a lot of confusing information and propaganda and there is a trend towards becoming vegan with it being up 700% in the last 12 months. I believe that everyone making conscious decisions about their diet is a really important thing. I also believe in education and when I came across Leah Keith's message, I instantly reached out to her and knew that I wanted to be able to speak to her directly. And I figured, you know, if I was interested, perhaps you're interested too. And, uh, and I really had such a beautiful time sharing this conversation with Leah this week and I know that it's going to give you some beautiful insights and there's a lot of links and resources for you to be able to know more. So enjoy this week's episode with Leah Keith who shares with us her perspective on is the answer veganism and what can we do to really help this planet and find what works for us on a health level but also on a planetary level. Welcome to Relaunch My Life Radio. I'm your host, Juliet Lever, and a few years ago, I personally relaunched my own life from being a workaholic, alcoholic, and chocoholic to now living a life of my own design. I'm on a mission to free you from an unfulfilling job or passionless life. And so with 10-minute tips and 30-minute interviews and stories to tune into, tune into Relaunch My Life Radio to discover your highest potential and feel inspired to live a life of zero regrets. If you want more, be sure to hit subscribe and visit us at www.relaunchmyliferadio.com for more. Well, I am so excited to be joined here today with Leah Keith, all the way from America, and I'm really looking forward to diving deep into some truth and some perspective that she has around a big life change that she made. Uh, And I wanted to, first of all, Leah, for your benefit and for the listeners, those of you who have been listening to this podcast for the last year or so, you'll know that I made the decision to uh, follow the path and and turn vegetarian around September last year, and I really had a realisation that I wanted to do that for moral and health purposes, and I felt great at the time and was very congruent and aligned with the decision. And and then around January, February, I noticed that I um, had sustained a wrist injury um, through yoga practice and also training at the gym. And I realized that it was a few weeks and my body really wasn't recovering in the way that it used to. And it concerned me, but I you know focused on rehabilitation and made sure that my nutrition was good and that I was getting enough sort of dietary requirements as well. And and, and still the problem ensued. And my partner, who had studied quite intensely with Paul Check from the Czech Institute, suggested that I look into some videos of this lady called Leah Keith. And, and, and he spoke really highly of her. And, and my partner said, oh, this lady, 
she was she was vegan for I think twenty years, and, and then she she changed her mind, and now she eats meat, and that was all he told me. And and I had so much resistance to looking into you and to even listening because I didn't want to learn something that would change my moral decision, and and I couldn't be who I am and teach what I teach without realizing that resistance is the thing that teaches us the most in life. And so I felt that resistance, and I thought, well, Julia, if you're going to be a teacher and a leader in this world, you need to step into that resistance and the highest form of ignorance is, is judging something without having the direct experience or the knowledge of it. So I'm going to listen to this interview. And so I found a YouTube interview online and I listened to about 30 or 40 minutes of you. And there were two things that stood out where you were talking about the nature of plants and, and how destructive and how carnivorous and what goes on actually at the cellular level with plants with each other as well. But also the fact that you made of, of you know, if you're looking at a plate of food and you're, you're looking at all these greens and thinking, great, no animal suffered in the, in the production of this meal that I'm about to eat, then you're kidding yourself. And there's so much more going behind the surface that we just don't even think about or want to think about. And so, um, you know, I, I asked my body what it needed in that moment after listening to your interview. And the first thing that it said was, you need a cup of bone broth. That was the first thing that my body said when I truly listened to what it was saying. So about an hour later, I had a cup of organic bone broth uh, just from a sachet and, and immediately it's like I felt this energy just breathe a sigh of relief in my body. And, I, it, and if I could have told you, I felt like I was sending the energy to my wrist and sending that collagen and the, the building blocks and everything that I needed to my wrist. And six months later now, uh, my wrist is totally fine. It's feeling so much better and I've really just been listening to my body and having some organic bone broth and small amounts of organic meat. But but I've still battled with the moral side of things and I still see the propaganda about veganism. And so this is what's really prompted the conversation and, and this space today is to get your insight and your wisdom. And so I've told you my story. So now you know why I wanted to talk to you, but for the purpose of our listeners, if, if you could just sort of share with them a little bit about your journey and, and, and how you also came about to, to be in the position that you're in and sharing the message that you are. Sure. So I became a vegan when I was 16 years old and I got into it the way that most people do. Um, so most people make that decision because they met another vegan and they are usually convinced, you know, in conversation that, that this is the right thing to do. And that's exactly what happened to me. I met another teenage girl whose family uh, were really into being vegans. And, you know, within a week or two, I had decided that this was the thing for me. I had never really heard about it before. And, and that was only 1980 or 1981. So it wasn't as popular then either. You know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have all this stuff. So you had to talk to people back then. Um, and anyway, it all just seemed to make sense that, you know, you could do this one thing, you could just stop eating animal products. And you could immediately, um, you know, save the planet and you could save animals and you could save your health and you could feed hungry children. And it's just like all these benefits just from this one thing. So it, it made so much sense. And um, then the other thing was, uh, you know, you look at those, the, the brochures, you read the books all about the, the photographs, the horrible photographs of animals in factory farms. And that's very compelling. And it should be because it's horrible. And no matter what you eat, I think we can all agree to that. It's just there's just no reason for animals to be suffering to that degree ever. I mean, it's just wrong. So that was very compelling. Um, and so I took it up with a fervor, and I did it for almost 20 years. And by the end of that 20 years, I was almost dead. So <laughs> that was why I stopped was because I I pretty well wrecked my health. Um, I think you have to be pretty fanatic to keep it up for that long. Um, 
despite all the evidence of what I was experiencing, uh, I could not admit that the diet was killing me. Um, I wanted it so badly to be true. And it was really hard. So one of the things that happens when you are, you know, clinging to that kind of ideology so strongly is that there's all this counter information that's building. You know, over that 20 years, it wasn't like I stopped reading or stopped engaging or stopped learning or stopped wanting to understand. Um, you know, I kept trying to absorb more information about what has gone so wrong on this planet. Why are we killing everything? You know, mm -hmm. Why is there global warming? What is the basis of all this? Like, where did it start and why? Um, so that has just always been something that I so deeply engaged in. And so I couldn't, you know, like that never stopped. And the problem was I kept bumping into this thing called agriculture. Um, and the problem is that's what I was eating. So I had two very, very different tracks running in my mind. One was, this is the way to eat. This is the best thing, the only thing, the thing that's going to save us. And on the other hand, all this information about how destructive it was. And I, they couldn't meet in the middle. Like I had to pick one or the other. And as long as I was a vegan, I had this fundamentalist mind. I couldn't let the other side in. So one of the good things about, you know, that whole collapse point in my life was that finally I was able to engage with all of that other stuff. So I ended up coming to very different decisions about what I think we should be doing as a species and what I think the problems are right now on this planet. And it made a lot more sense in the end, but it was a long, hard process. And I, I have nothing but sympathy for people who, you know, have to have to stop being vegan or vegetarian because I know that's a bad year or two. You feel like the cosmos collapsed around you. Like you're just left in the rubble. You have no idea what anything means. Who am I? You know, like, what is my, my spot in the universe now? You just feel like God hates you. Like it was all a lie. It's really hard. So I, I totally understand, you know, the, what, what you went through with that. On such a smaller scale than, than what you do, right? And, and I suppose that's really why I wanted to reach out to you is I wanted to thank you for sharing your message, which surprisingly, you know, we live in, in, in a time of freedom of expression of you know yeah. our opinions but it, it seems from what i've researched as well there's a lot of people who are against your message and who are very passionately against what you're saying and i think <laughs> and, I, and i i wanted to sort of just ask you about where you feel like that comes from i mean i think what you touched on before about when you stop being a vegan you know that's your identity a lot of the time like people don't say I don't eat meat. They say, I am, a yes. vegan, you know, so that becomes the identity. And so then if you're not that anymore, shit, who am I? What am I? What does that mean? And it's also a community as well. You know, when one person stops, there can be judgment. And oh, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, a lot of vegans lose their friends when they stop being vegan. Um, I get emails from people in this position all the time and they're terrified because they know that they're going to lose at least a great chunk of their community is going to be gone. Their friends are going to hate them. You know, it's just going to be really ugly for a lot of them. Their marriages break up. Uh, they lose a boyfriend, a girlfriend. If they have children together, there's now this huge struggle about what to feed the kids. There's grandparents involved. It, this stuff gets really ugly, really ugly. And honestly, diet should not do this to people. Mm -hmm. Like there's something else going on here. Like just food choices should not be this crucially important that it would break up a marriage and it does. Mm. So there's something else going on. There is some, I don't, there is this very fundamentalist mindset that goes along often being, being a vegan. Mm. Um, 
I mean, and I think it's, and, and everything that we're saying in this space as well is with so much respect for everyone listening and, and what choices there are. And this is not designed to say, you know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. It's just a raising awareness. And so for me, um, you know, even the listeners that are listening that are vegan, it's it's more the message that what, what I think we're wanting to come together and, and what I'm wanting to share is, is to make sure that you're in alignment with what you're doing for you and it's not about, you know, because you're afraid to lose friends or because you've, you know, looked at this or whatever it is. You know, if your body is saying you need these minerals or you need these building blocks and, and, and you're trying to ignore it because of an identity, that's that's a very difficult piece to be playing in. So, so then what, yeah, there's so much to this and I'm conscious of time as well because I know that, you know, we, we really want to get the main point. So, so when you mentioned that you, you went through that, you know, that, that identity shift and that, that change, what really, what have you noticed since then and how long has it been for you? So my last day of veganhood was, I think, February 2nd, 1999. So that was a while ago now. Mm. Um, and I, like you, you know, I took that first bite of whatever it was and my entire universe just changed because I felt so dramatically better 10 seconds later. I would not have believed it if I hadn't experienced it. So you don't have to believe me out there in listener land. But if you've been through this, you know what I'm talking about. You take that one bite and it's like you've been plugged into a low voltage battery. Like you suddenly feel alive in a way that you haven't. For me, it was decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was, it was, it's indescribable. So I, yeah, that's what happened. And then I knew that I had been wrong all those years and that, you know, the, there was a, a healthcare practitioner involved in this who said, you, you know, you're going to die if you keep this up. You really do have to eat meat. And, you know, I was kind of a last ditch effort where I thought, well, I'll try it once. And if I don't feel anything, then he's wrong. And I can just go back to my vegan ways. But if he's right, this is going to be a terrible moment. But then maybe I'll have an answer to why I feel so bad. So I tried it. And, you know, that's, that's what happened. So yeah, it was very hard. So you get this year and a half or, you know, two years where you have to readjust things. But um, all of the health problems that I had were either pretty quickly, they either resolve completely. Um, the ones that are more chronic, um, they at least got better. And I have some conditions that aren't supposed to get better. They did. You know, once I understood a more appropriate human diet and started sticking to an entirely different set of principles, I actually did recover some of my function. And I'm certainly in dramatically less pain than I was then. So, um, you know, you live and learn. I, I do want my life to stand as an example. I, I just feel like there's always, you know, that sort of, that younger generation of idealistic young people who are getting the same message that this is the best way, the only way to save the planet and help animals. And and I understand where they're coming from. I mean, these are the, the, it's the correct values, right? It's justice and compassion and sustainability, right? And anything that questions human hubris, like that's absolutely the right track. Like you want to hang onto that. Um, The question is really information, you know, like what is the best way to embody those values? What is the best way to institutionalize them across our culture? Um, That's the question. It's not the values that are the problem. So I I always want to emphasize that, that if that's what's led you to veganism, it's correct. And I agree with you. I mean, Mm. I I just have a different knowledge base now. And I've come to a different decision because of that. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, what are your beliefs then about, I mean, from what I see, a lot of what I see around veganism now as well is awareness being raised through social media. And there's a lot of people who advertise, you know, I've never eaten meat in my whole life and I'm healthy. So you can too. And, and what are your thoughts on that, that different people have different needs? You know, some people can thrive on the vegan diet, but other people they can't. And no matter how much they morally don't want to, their body is just saying something completely different. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think anyone can do it long term and remain healthy. Um, I think if if you're young and vigorous, uh, you can probably do it for a few years without too much damage. You can pretty much do anything to your body under the age of 30, <laughs> you know, the side of drinking nuclear waste, and probably be okay. But eventually the rubber hits the road and you're going to see the consequences. Um, and we can predict what those things are mostly going to be on a vegan diet. All of them happen to me. Um, and none of them are a mystery. Like I understand yes, what yes. happened. What are the sort of the, the things that you mentioned are predictable? Sure. So uh, one thing that's most likely to happen to most people who try a vegan diet is going to be some kind of anxiety or depression. Um, and the reason is that all of our neurotransmitters um, are made from protein. They're made from amino acids and you're just not getting enough of them on that, on that diet. The plant sources of protein come wrapped in cellulose we have no way to digest cellulose. So even if you're eating as much as you possibly can, we just can't access it. You know, we're, we're not ruminants. Like we don't have a way, we don't have a giant vat of bacteria that can digest it for us. So you can't get to it. And there aren't that many great sources of tryptophan in the plant world. It's really very, very small. Um, and tryptophan is the amino acid that's the precursor to serotonin. Mm. You know, we all know that's the happiness, you know, for a transmitter like, Prozac and SSRIs and all this like we we've all heard serotonin. Well, that's what it does It makes you feel happy and stable Um, And without tryptophan your brain just can't make it It's an essential amino acid, which means you have to eat it and there really aren't any good vegan sources of it So that's one problem right away But the other thing about your brain is that it's mostly fat. It's like 80% fat and if you're not eating enough fat uh, Your brain literally shrinks. Um, you know the, the big Oxford University study was that um, you know, they compared the brains of people who were eating um, a more general diet with people who were eating vegetarian and vegan diets. And it only took five years. Uh, the vegetarian and vegan people, their brains shrank 5%. It's one twentieth of their brains was simply gone. Like literally did not have the mass that they're supposed to have in their skulls. And of course, the vegans did, did dramatically worse. Mm-hmm. And there's any number of studies that show um, that people who eat these kinds of low fat plant-based diets end up with you know, way more depression, um, way more anger, way more mental health problems across the board, much higher suicide rates. It's really sad. I mean, it's people are really damaging their sort of day-to-day existence by eating these. And again, it's not a mystery. Like without fat, you know, your brain can't do the transmitting. And without the amino acids, you can't make neurotransmitters. So your brain can't do anything without fat and protein. That's that's what it needs, and it's literally what it is. So it's problem number one. Problem number two is it's just way too many carbohydrates, and the carbohydrate is just sugar. You know, if it makes you feel better to call it complex carbohydrate, you can do that. But all of that complex carbohydrate is broken down into simple sugars. That's what digestion is. Um, so you're you're flooding your your bloodstream with all this sugar. You know, three, four, five times a day, mm-hmm. um, and our bodies are simply not meant for it. I mean, there's this whole reaction that then happens which involves insulin right so your blood sugar is too high now insulin comes to the rescue and it grabs onto everything that it can it's a really blunt instrument 
It takes everything it can out of your bloodstream, shoves it into your fat cells because it's an emergency. Mm. Our brains can only function at a really narrow range of sugar. If it's too high or too low, you can literally die. So big emergency, out comes the insulin. It's a first responder, grabs everything, shoves it out of your bloodstream as fast as it can, but that's everything. So now your blood sugar is too low because it grabbed it all and you know put it into storage. So now you feel like you're gonna die if you don't put food in your mouth um, and you're shaky and you're sweating and you're in a really bad mood, that like hangry thing, that's what it is, is low blood sugar. So now you grab usually the first sweet you can find. You grab another source of carbohydrate or sugar. In the mouth it goes. You feel better for half an hour, but then the whole thing starts all over again. And the problem with eating these you know, low fat, high carb diets, you're doing that to yourself every single day, constantly. Not once a year when you find, you know, wild bees in the woods with some honey all the time. And so you're wearing out your insulin receptors because they're not meant for it day after day. So another thing you're going to do pretty quickly is blow through your insulin receptors. You're going to get these blood sugar problems. Um, And a lot of damage happens from that excess insulin. And this is really what's, you know, half of what's creating um, things like heart disease. things like cancer. We know that cancer eats sugar. That's what it eats. Um, This is why agricultural peoples end up with cancer as sort of part of their disease constellation and hunter-gatherers don't. Cancer is one of the prime diseases, what they call the diseases of civilization. These are diseases that agricultural peoples get that hunter-gatherers don't. Um, And cancer is one of the big ones. And that's why it's just the sugar. It's not even that complicated. Um, so those are the kinds of things you're going to do to yourself. You're going to blow through your insulin receptors. You're going to feel that constant, you know, blood sugar roller coaster, which is going to make you feel terrible all the time. Those high levels of insulin really mess with your sex hormones too. So in men, it turns testosterone to estrogen, and in women, it turns estrogen into testosterone. So you end up with things like PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. And, you know, the number one thing you can do if you have that is eat a low-carb diet, get the insulin levels down. You can stabilize your own hormones without having to take scary drugs. Everybody knows this, but no one will actually point to the problem. You're eating too much of this stuff. Um, So you're going to do that to yourself as well. Um, Not having enough cholesterol generally in your diet. um, You know, cholesterol only comes from animals. And cholesterol is the base substance, like the mother hormone. It's what all your hormones are made from, all of them. You need cholesterol in your diet to do that. And what happens is if you, if you don't have enough cholesterol, um, you know, you, your body has a way to, to say to itself, okay, so um, if, if we don't have enough cholesterol to go around, we need to keep alive sort of minute to minute. So we're going to divert what little cholesterol we might find just to staying alive. These other functions that we don't necessarily need now, we're just going to shut down. So you're stop producing sex hormones because your body's going, I think we're maybe starving here. Not a time to be thinking about babies. You don't need it moment to moment to stay. We'll work on that in a few months when there's more food. But for now, no estrogen, no progesterone, no testosterone. So you're not going to have any sex hormones. And this is why women you know, who are gymnasts, who are heavy duty athletes, don't have enough body fat they stop menstruating or they go into really, really late puberty. A lot of these gymnasts don't start menstruating until they're 17 or 18 years old. That's why. There's just not enough fat in their bodies. There's not enough cholesterol roaming around in there. Um, And, you know, there are lifetime consequences to this kind of thing. You you need hormones when you need them. You really only get one chance to build a body. 
Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if that window closes, you're going to have problems later on. So that's mm -hmm. another thing that will happen. A lot of women who go vegan um, stop menstruating. It happened to me. Nobody could explain why. It's so obvious. Yeah. Once I started eating regular food, I was fine. But for 20 years, I was like, what is wrong with my uterus and my ovaries? You're nodding your head. I assume you've been through this. It's amazing. Yeah. And honestly, I think that that nine months or so that I was vegetarian and I was maybe 75, 80% vegan, but I would have a few eggs and a bit of cheese here and there. But I, I felt like I was starving. You know, no matter how much I ate, I just felt like I was hungry. And one of the things that you said in your interview was around, um, you know, you're, it's like being on a constant fast. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not healthy long term. So, um, yeah, it's, and, and also I was supplementing. And I think one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, if you're supplementing so much, if you have to take pills with your diet, that's so cute. I know that you can't hear, but Leah's beautiful dog has just come into the video. So, you know, if you're supplementing all the time, then that's effectively having an eating disorder. And, and well, yeah. I have this yeah, life exactly. moment of I'm, I'm not even eating food anymore, you know, and yeah. And this is so much of the problem is the, the food-like substances that we have available in today's reality, it's so far removed from what our bodies need to function. And so, you know, I, I resonate so much with what you're talking about. And, and I guess my concern in wanting to raise this is for people who are, um, you know, looking at getting into it because it's, it's very... It's very trendy at the moment and it's you know 20 years ago perhaps when you were vegan and it was a little less known and not as common perhaps you know from my awareness but now it's just i think veganism in the last 12 months is up 700 percent and when i came across your interview i thought well what in the last year yeah well what does that mean for the next 10 20 years in the health of our species and is this is this the right way? It's always to me, it seems like a knee jerk reaction of, okay, well, I don't like what industry is doing. So I'm just going to go on strike and not eat anymore, <laughs> you know? And, and I don't think that's the problem. And I think what you're really wanting to raise awareness around is, well, what is, what can we do on a bigger scale? And so if it's not, if the answer is not just stopping eating meat altogether, what, what do you say to the individual that the consumer's individual, you know, best response yeah. is? So there's like the short answer and the long answer. Yeah. The short answer is um, find food, find farmers who are raising the right food. Um, and I know in the United States, we have this really great website. It's called eatwild.com. I don't know if she covers Australia. She might at this point, because I think there's some international stuff on her website. But I'm assuming you have a, a similar kind of somebody who does this in Australia. And it's great because you can go to her website and you pick where you live and it will show you all the farms in your area and your region who are doing it right, which is to say it's grass-based farming. So they've, you know, repaired whatever little bit of ground they have. They've got it in perennials, which is the point. That is nature's pattern is perennial polycultures integrated with animals. And that is, literally what keeps life moving on this planet you have to have both of those things and you can find the farms that are doing that and you just do everything in your power to buy food from those farms and you won't have to feel bad about it anymore because they're repairing everything they're repairing soil they're repairing the water table they're repairing local waterways they're creating habitat for all creatures great and small like down to the bacteria up to the megafauna, everybody's got a place to live again. And it's, it's an extraordinary thing to see what can happen when we let life come back. And in all of this mixture are the animals that humans can eat. Um, and they have beautiful lives. They have good lives. They have happy lives. 
we all play a role. That's the thing. Like when I was a vegan, I, I wanted it to be true so badly that my life was possible without death. And it wasn't, you know, I, it was a fairy tale that I told myself because it made me feel better. And I so wanted it to be true. Um, every attempt that I made to grow my own food as a vegan ended in complete disaster because I could not accept that death was inevitable. Um, when I finally accepted that, it got a lot easier. Um, there was a very bad moment of accepting that, but it was kind of a relief to just to get out of the denial and realize that for something to live, something else has to die. And the, and the example that stood out to me was when you said you were going to make, you were going to start a garden and you realized that the plants responded best to the blood and bone. The plants wanted to eat the animals. <laughs> and then you realized there's something so much bigger to this than I've ever realized. And this is the circle of life. And we can't just opt out of the circle of life and say, I'm a non-human organism and I'm going to opt out of any form of death. Like even existing, we're, we're, we're killing things. But I think, you know, the, the argument that I hear quite often is it's all well and good for the animals to be raised humanely, but they still die in the same way and it's still horrible and it's slaughter. And, and I'm a firm believer that I think if anyone's living in this world and, and consuming animal products that we, sh we should participate in the slaughter and we should know what happens and, and be conscious of it. And I think this is my message is, is what I realized was before going ve vegetarian, I was probably eating too much meat and it, and it was semi-conscious. And then I went off and then now it's all very conscious, very, okay, is this how much I need? You know, what, what is my part in this? And try not to source organic as much as I can and, and from sustainable places. And it's much less and it's much more conscious. And I think the world is in a state of imbalance. So perhaps there's way too many people eating way too much meat unconsciously. And so what's happened is we've got so many people now helping the balance in the universe by or in the planet by going vegan and, and clearing and, and balancing that out. And then ultimately, hopefully, we can all find that, that conscious balance point in between. I mean, that, that would be ideal, but who knows the way it's going to go. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the hard part is that um, we don't have enough we don't have like big information. We don't have enough knowledge mm. to, to make the, the right decision perhaps. And so, you know, for me, when I was a vegan, I looked at my plate and I thought, was well, there something dead on this plate? And there was no meat. So I thought, great, nothing died. I'm in the clear. And it's not true for any number of reasons. The first being that plants are very much alive. They communicate, they have friends, they make communities, they help each other. Um, and, and we've only begun to understand scientifically the ways that they do that. And it's pretty extraordinary the more you learn about it. There are people who call themselves plant neurobiologists um, because the electrical signals they send to communicate to each other, very similar to the human brain. They don't actually have brains, but they're using very similar channels. Um, and it's, it's, so all of this is really interesting. Like, you know, one great example, I live in the Redwood Forest in California, and um, there are actually albino redwood trees. So obviously they're, you know, sort of genetic anomalies, but they can't, they're, they're, they're kind of white in color, um, which is to say they can't photosynthesize. Their, their little needles are not green. So they, they're missing the chlorophyll, um, but they're alive. So how are they doing this without being able to photosynthesize? And the answer is the other trees keep them alive. The other redwood trees can hear their distress and understand this is a small one of us who needs energy, who needs food. And they will send that albino tree um, all of the nutrients that she needs through their roots. There's this, that amazing thing that plants do with roots. And 
the albinos will never get as tall as the other redwoods, but they are alive and they do live hundreds of years. And that's why is because their friends keep them alive, just like you and I would do with our friends and family. And you, that's just one very small example of the ways that plants communicate and create communities based on what we do, you know, based on care and compassion and love for each other. Um, so they're very much alive. Um, they know when another plant is being hurt and they send out signals to each other to warn them. Oh, somebody's getting eaten over here. Be careful over there. You want to, and they can make uh, various, you know, kinds of things to repel like a deer or whatever might be eating their friends. Like they're warned and now they suddenly, you know, jump into manufacturing those chemicals to repel being eaten. Um, another, just this one example, but this just goes on and on. Like the more you know about plants, the more you realize they are absolutely conscious. They absolutely know what's going on. So when you look down at your plant on your plate and you see a cucumber and some lettuce and a tomato, that's just as alive as an animal was. We are drawing a very artificial line. What we're saying is, well, the, the creatures that are like me are the ones that matter and I'm not gonna hurt them. But these other creatures past whatever this artificial line is, we're gonna say they're not like me and therefore they don't matter. And I had a terrible time with this when I was a vegan because I didn't really want there to be any lines. Like I wanted all of life to be seen as sentient and sacred and that it mattered and then I didn't want to dominate it. But at that point I was left with nothing to eat. Yeah. So I, it just, I could never make it, I could never bring the line, like where was I gonna, why was I drawing a line? What kind of line could I draw? And in the end of the day, it was like, I was just wrong because there isn't a line, it's a circle. Like I'm going to die and the plants are going to eat me. And hopefully I'm grateful that I got to live. And every last molecule is going to be taken up by other life forms and then just recycled over and over again. Because mm -hmm. we're all part of that tribe called carbon. That's it. That's the only answer is it's a circle. But then the other problem is, all right, so we're going to acknowledge there's death in everything that we eat. So now really our only question is on this plate, there's the death that's the part of life that is that cycle that's just making everybody, keeping everyone fed. And there's no way out of that. All I can do is do it well. Okay, that's one death. The other death is the death that's killing everything. So what is that death? What is that about? And can I avoid that? And so in all of my research and studies and experiments, what I came to after 20 years of being a vegan was that agriculture is the biggest problem. It is the single most destructive thing that people have done to the planet. And I thought it was saving the planet. And I was completely wrong in that. So, you know, what is agriculture? Well, you take a piece of land and you clear every living thing off it. And I mean down to the bacteria. And then you plant it to human use. So it's mass extinction. Because all those plants and animals have, um, it's an inherently destructive activity. Because the moment you do that, you start destroying the topsoil. And life, land life, terrestrial life, is completely dependent on that soil. Um, so we've had 10,000 years and we've trashed the planet. There's, there is no way to do this sustainably. The moment you clear it, you're starting to kill it. Um, 200 species now are going extinct every single day and that's mostly because of agriculture. Um, so, you know, my great solution to all of this was in fact the problem. And I think this is like, this is really hard and it's hard for anyone to come to grips with this because we've been doing it for so long. It just seems normal. But I think especially it's hard for people who are very attracted to the kind of, you know, vegan ethic because you don't, you know, you're trying your hardest not to kill anything. Like I'm the life that's going to be the one that's death free. And then it's not true. And it's really, that's just was the hardest thing for me. 
And I kept bumping into it, you know, like over and over and everything that I was just so hungry to learn about ecological destruction, it was always there. Like the problem is we started doing this thing called agriculture and it's just a one way ticket from there to the end. There've been 34 civilizations on this planet. Every last one of them ends in collapse mm. because it's inherently destructive and they last as long as the soil does somewhere between 800 and 2000 years. That's the end. And then it collapses and we're not going to end any other way. It's just, we've extended it because we learned how to use fossil fuel. So that's what we're eating now is grain is essentially oil on a stalk right now. Um, but it's not going to end any differently because the oil's going to run out too. So it's not a good way forward, but it certainly is not death free. It is actually the end of the world. It's the problem. Mm. So <laughs> I'm conscious of time and you've just gotten to a point which I think could open up a whole new conversation. But I think, you know, the, the, the basis of this conversation is, is information and for people that want to know more and, and that these seeds of knowledge have planted some curiosity in them what is your suggestion for them to learn more i know that you've written a book um would, would that be what you would suggest for them to to educate themselves further with they could start with my book there's lots of good books that cover many of the same subjects they could also read jared diamond's book um he wrote a book called collapse he also wrote a book called guns germs and steel he won a pulitzer prize for that one so <laughs> they don't just give that to anyone mm. um these are really good books. And he has the same thesis, like agriculture. He say his famous article about how agriculture was the worst mistake that humans have ever made. And it will walk you through exactly what the problem is, how it's inherently destructive. And then because you're on drawdown and overshoot, it then, you know, all agricultural societies end up being militaristic and imperialistic and conquering the neighbors because you've used up your own stuff. You got to go get it somewhere else. And this is the problem. This is the pattern we've been on for 10,000 years. So I highly recommend Jared Diamond. Um, there's also a book called Dirt, The Collapse of Civilizations, which will walk you through a lot of this. And that's by David Montgomery. Um, oh, there's so many good books. <laughs> um, I would also recommend, what else would I recommend? Um, uh, there's a really great book called um, Cattle Save the Planet by Judith Schwartz. And that's all about like, all this stuff about blaming ruminants is just completely off base. And really the only way we're going to save the planet is to restore the grasses and, and the appropriate ruminants to those communities. And so her book is really great on that. Um, also, there's a book called, I'm trying to think, oh, it's on my shelf. A good one that just talks about England. Um, and how he, it's great because he uses, I mean, he's got it down to like the square inch, like how many people could we feed? How much land could we restore? And then, you know, how many ruminants would we need? And it's, it's just that some of these books are so marvelous. That guy's Graham Harvey is his name. And the book is called, and I just can't quite remember. If you look him up, you'll find it. He's actually written a number of books about this. And I don't know if you ever listened to the archers on BBC radio four, but he's the agricultural consultant for the archers. So uh, it's all good stuff. Um, anyway, Graham Harvey's another really great author on this. So many good ones. Um, so I'm not the only one out here saying no. stuff. Um, there's actually a lot of really good organizations now have gotten behind this. So the main one I would recommend is the Savory Institute. And this is Alan Savory is the man who started this. And he has a very intense personal history with all of it. Um, he's at this point, he's got to be in his eighties. Um, and he's been doing this pretty much forever, trying to figure out what has gone so wrong. Um, and he finally figured out that it really it's ruminants and grasses that are that are going to save this and how to do it appropriately. Mm -hmm. But if you go to his website, you can watch videos, see footage, 
um, lots of photographs of people using his methods to restore. And they're really stunning where they've literally taken desert and, and turned it into this, these lush, lush, lush habitats again. It's just absolutely gorgeous stuff. And millions of acres now have been restored using Alan Savory's method. Because, I, I mean, the I soil with what we've got, you know, the soil and the top of the earth. I mean, that's that's how healthy our planet is. And when we're eradicating and and you know clearing bacteria, and we're it's it's leaving us exposed, isn't it? I mean, this, as I said, is another <laughs> conversation. But I understand, and and I think you know this is really a, a a different perspective on what is an individual choice, which is what well, I don't want to contribute to the the death and the slaughter of of defenseless animals, and 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 that this is what I'm seeing a lot of um, propaganda about. And I respect my listeners who have their 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 beliefs around this. And obviously, this is not designed to sway anyone. It's just an education piece that that there's a bigger piece to play in this, and and to to look at you know what else we can be doing in that way. But um, yeah, look, I I think you know honestly. I'm really grateful for your time and I know that, you know, you've had to distill down you know, 20, 30 years of knowledge and research and it just can all kind of come out and, and when I said half an hour, you're probably thinking, what? We're not even going to be able to scratch the surface. But for me, I love planting seeds and if people want to know more, then they can do their own research. And so that's really the, the, the what I wanted to create for today and I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing and say that, you know, I think it's fascinating for me as well, even to feel resistance about spreading this message. You know, there, there's so much taboo around this. And this is, um, you know, this is a really interesting thing because you need to, we need to feel safe to be able to speak up about different things that are going to make a difference in this world and, and honour each of individual's perspectives. You know, I find it sometimes challenging that, that people who love animals so much can seem to hate humans so much. You know, humans are animals too. And if a human decides to eat an animal, that doesn't mean that we should hate that human. And it feels like there's there's a lot of anger and animosity towards our humankind. Yeah. And um, and it's really about respecting each individual. I had a friend that I just spoke to the other day and she told me how she's vegetarian. And I had this moment of like, oh, I wish I could be too, you know. And I, I had this moment of, you know, I, I, I respect that and I wish that it worked for me. But, you know, I know now that I need to do what's in alignment with my body and, and, I, and I really have to say you look healthiest that I've seen you and I've watched a lot of your interviews and you look just glowing and radiant. And to, <laughs> me, to me, that's the most important thing is, you know, if someone is walking the walk, talking the talk and if they're energetic and their, their energy is right and, and you're very congruent with what you're sharing and, um, and yeah, I want to thank you for raising your, the awareness in the way that you are. So. So I will leave it at that and I will let you let you go and, and finish playing with your beautiful dog. He's <laughs> very sweet. And thank you so much for your time. We're going to be putting links to the interview that I mentioned in the in the podcast as well as links to Leah's book, The Vegetarian Myth, and also some of the links to the other books that she mentioned in the podcast too. So thank you so much. Is there any final last words that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, I think it's very easy for humans to become ideologically bound and I would just really encourage everyone, like whatever ideology you have, whatever you know, framework you've built for yourself, it's got to change with time because we all change and grow. And if you're clinging to it so hard that you're hurting yourself and hurting other people, you might want to re-examine that. Like you don't have to give it up if you don't want to. But if you can't even look at other ideas, there is a problem. Like that fundamentalist mindset is never good for us. You always have to remain open. Just try to experiment a little bit. Just look at other ideas as all there is. You can decide you don't like them. 
you can come up with counter arguments. That's all fine. Right. But the idea that like you could buy a book and have it sit on your, your couch for six months because you're terrified to pick it up. Like there's a problem there. And that's the story I hear over and over again. I bought your book. I couldn't read it. It was too scary. A book shouldn't be that scary. It's just a book. Like you can shut it if you don't like it. We've got to keep our minds open. Like if you're going to stay limber and active and engaged, shutting down doesn't help. And I know this is information I would not have wanted when I was 20. I know. So I really do understand, you know, that impulse, but it's not a good one in humans. We, we, we really do have to try to fight it as much as we can. So I, I really do just wish the best for, for everyone. It's That's this week's episode from Relaunch My Life Radio, live from Australia. Visit us at relaunchmyliferadio.com for more. And remember, it's never too late to relaunch your life.